you know, one of my goals early on, Michael, was not to make 100% of the people happy or even 50% of the people happy, but to make 100% of the right people insanely happy. And sometimes 100% of the right people is just two. When I try to figure out how to just survive being creative, I look to my friend and storyteller, Marco Torres. Up next on Change the Narrative, how to deal with haters. This is Change the Narrative, the podcast about innovation in education and the workplace. I'm your host and tour guide, Michael Hernandez. One of my favorite hobbies is street photography. If you were to walk with me through the streets of LA, like I'm doing right now with my friend Saba, you'll probably get really annoyed with me because of how many times I stop to take pictures of doors or street art or peeling paint. I got over taking photos of flowers and sunsets a long time ago. Those are too easy to shoot and social media is littered with them. My philosophy for street photography is summed up in three words. Gritty, not pretty. I try to find objects that on the surface seem ugly or plain or industrial and elevate them to the status of elegant, beautiful, or metaphorical. An unmarked door becomes a mystery and a place of transition. A dirty factory window reflects the grit of age and working class struggle. Graffiti, a bolt of color striving to thrive amidst oppressively gray industrial buildings. It's not the object itself, but how you frame it that makes it special that points out some unique aspect that we were too busy to notice before. Each of us has the power to take the ugly and uncomfortable things in life and find the beauty in them. We can't wait for beauty or our ideal version of it to drop into our lap. Instead, we need to elevate the beauty that's all around us to look for opportunities to make the world beautiful by adding our voice, telling our story and providing a fresh perspective. This episode is about the people or systems that actively make it hard for us to innovate and improve. What I found is that many of our challenges come from the way we frame the situation and the stories we tell ourselves. Either on the streets or in a business or in a classroom, we need to be intentional about where we place our lens and what story we tell others about our desire for innovation. Marco Torres is a professional filmmaker and photographer who uses digital storytelling to add value to curriculum and showcase evidence of learning in classrooms. After a decade of teaching middle school and high school in Los Angeles, Marco worked at Apple as a senior specialist and learning engineer. He is also a keynote speaker on topics like creativity and is currently the director of story at Digital Promise. I caught up with him on a windy day in Los Angeles. Marco, you and I met almost exactly 10 years ago at the Apple Distinguished Educator Institute at Full Sail University. And um, I remember being struck by your unapologetic passion for learning and for growth and innovation. And you weren't arrogant about it. It was more of an urgency, an urgency for, for teachers or anyone really to grow and change and adapt. And that was really refreshing for me because up until then, I hadn't really encountered that perspective in my professional life. Um, I'd actually had some, some trouble in my professional life. And so anyway, thank you for being there and inspiring me and presenting that perspective, I think. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I really agree with your, your passion for innovation and feel like a lot of us still have that uphill battle in our workspaces, you know, where we try to affect positive change. 
And, you know, I called the title of this episode dealing with haters, but um, that sort of has a negative connotation, I guess. And that's definitely how it feels sometimes. But I really think, you know, in conversations like this, we have the opportunity to focus on a lot of constructive, positive aspects of our work lives. No, you're absolutely right. I heard this, this idea, this, this term coined called the tall poppy syndrome. Um, and that's basically where, you know, out in this field of poppies, the one that stands out gets cut down. Um, yeah. And it's really this metaphor for resistance to innovation or growth. I'm wondering why you think people or organizations have this fear of someone standing out and being different or being successful. I was very fortunate, Michael, early on in my teaching career, I was asked to be a board member for the George Lucas Education Foundation. And as a Star Wars nut, you know, it was just a wonderful experience to mm. to have the opportunity to sit next to George Lucas and and not only talk about Star Wars, but really the, the, the reason why he wanted to create this organization. And I remember he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, you know, the tallest blade of grass gets mowed first. Mm. Or and then later on, he, and, you know, in another conversation, he said that the tallest nail gets hammered the hardest, which is probably more the metaphor that I connected with. And Mm. um, yeah, I mean, it happens out there on two levels. One is other people don't want you to get that that attention. And even sometimes even yourself, you don't want to stand out because you know what it looks like when um, you stand out and now you're a target. I saw it a lot in schools, you know, when I taught my colleagues and, and didn't understand really what it was that I was doing. And the good news is, Michael, is early on I had friends, you know, uh, in different organizations that just reminded me that, you know, you're doing something good when people don't quite understand what you're doing. It did force me to be more creative in how I communicated what it was that I was doing. I guess the justification from even just another person um, to help me to see why I was doing it. Yeah, that's really interesting. In episode two, we talk about that, having those co-conspirators that you need to lean on to be either sounding board or to vent to or to like help you amplify your ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of the worst is when you feel like you're alone. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, I'll tell you, I did feel like, what am I doing wrong? But you mentioned earlier that, you know, I had a sense of urgency. And, you know, it's interesting. I didn't go into the profession of education because... I wanted to be a teacher. You know, I wanted my experience in my community and working with people in my community to have the skill set and the tools and the resources to help advocate for themselves, to get them out of poverty, to get them out of the troubles that obviously was a huge part of my growing up. And I felt that the very few people that make it in our community, you know, and I not only did I feel that I made it, but came back to it that I really wanted to make sure that people were leveraging all of their skill sets and resources, in my case, media, as a tool for liberation. So, you know, as I dug beneath the surface of the tools or the media, people, I think that I did a good job explaining to people that I was tired of providing a third world experience to kids who deserved a first world experience. You know, one of my goals early on, Michael, was not to make 100% of the people happy, or even 50% of the people happy, but to make 100% of the right people insanely happy. And sometimes 100% of the right people is just two. So when I would tell them, hey, when they would say, hey, Marco, you just have both of us on your side. And I'm like, well, I have 100% of the right people. 
Um, and I think that that also helped, and it still helps me out today because I see that some of this definitely translates over into the private sector. Are there any other reasons why that, that mindset of the tall poppy is dangerous? Like what happens when you cut down that tallest blade of grass? What happens when you don't encourage innovation? You know, I really take Maslow's hierarchy of needs super important. The way that I always interpret it is, number one, do you feel safe? And number two, after you feel safe, do you feel comfortable? Number three, after you feel comfortable, do you feel connected? And then after that, after you feel connected, can, do you feel that you can contribute? And then after that, you just keep climbing up. After you contribute, do you feel like you can grow? And even after that, do you feel like you can share with what you've grown? So that's when you get to that self-actualization. Let's just look at it from a leader perspective. We need to understand, you know, do I make people feel safe? Do I make people feel comfortable? What's the evidence that I need to see and feel and hear and look out for so that I can move people up to that next level? And I think that what happens in the tall poppy syndrome is your spectators are looking at people getting mowed down, your people getting their poppy heads <laughs> cut off or their taller, whether the nail getting hammered the hardest, then what you've done is you've just shut the door to that first part of being safe. And if you don't, if you close that first door, you're not going to be able to get people to a position where they feel empowered enough to contribute new questions to problems that are holding us back. That's a good way to put it. Like you don't think about the, the final implication. You're just thinking about the immediate moment. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it makes me feel right now. But there's some damaging effects that can have. Research and development doesn't happen, right? Uh, yeah. Um, we don't, you know, when people don't ask new questions, then <laughs> we're in trouble. So you worked as a public school teacher in Los Angeles and also in the okay. private sector and as a consultant. And I'm sort of curious what kinds of resistance to change you've encountered in each of those different spaces. And do they have anything in common? I even think even more so now than ever, the, the, the storyteller for schools are what grades did you get? What, what scores are you getting? Um, rumors and media. And those aren't best, the best storytellers for schools. So, you know, I always got the question that what everything that you're asking for, everything that you're doing, how does that improve test scores? And, um, you know, if I wasn't able to give them an answer for it, it just seemed like it closed those doors for me. It was very debilitating to know that I taught in a poor school where kids where language was a particular issue. They didn't have the experiences that other kids were taught at a school with high transiency rate. They weren't even testing the same kids. So I knew that for me to provide kids an opportunity to survive and thrive, I needed to focus on frameworks versus specific content area curriculums, you know, teaching them on how to think and how to process and how to uh, categorize, collapse, prioritize, synthesize was more my interest. But it was really hard because, you know, the bottom line in the education space and my space was just to improve test scores. Also, too, working in the private space, um, you know, there is this call for that bottom line. In this case, it's, it's money made without necessarily thinking that there's, you know, that short-term results. Like, I want to be able to see a result in one year and two years when in reality, it's more like a tree. You know, it's what you do over time that's going to generate a strong foundation that's going to get the roots. And, you know, a lot of the investments that I saw that did not deliver up front for people. I, because I live in the community, 
I see the fruits of it. You know, I'm actually sitting right across the street from a business where I have former students that are operated. And it feels great because now I have impactful evidence that they've done that. But at the time, you know, we were all affected by the race to the immediate result. And I think that that's super dangerous, Michael, as you're mentioning, because then that becomes your dictator is your, let's just get those quick results and you have no long-term plan. You know, um, I spoke with my brother in episode one, who's an engineering yeah, professor at Cornell, and he's talking about the importance of uh, play and research and development. Um, otherwise, you risk your entire company. And it's interesting, you talk about the metric. You know, if we, if we have the wrong metric, we're going to go for the wrong result. Um, right. And uh, there's this great Thomas Pynchon quote that said, if, if they get you to ask the wrong question, they don't have to worry about the answer. That's right. You know, and so whether it's in your business or with human beings in a public school, you know, if I worry about their, their math score, I'm not worried that they're going to start a business and be successful later. So that's the real metric, right? You know, I always tell people that, you know, our goal isn't to teach kids how to read and write. Those are byproducts to the bigger goal is how to teach kids how to be effective communicators, you know, to defend themselves, to protect themselves, to advocate for themselves, to advocate for others. This is why we teach them to read and write. So reading and writing is a byproduct of a bigger goal. And same thing with like, let's say, if you're trying to get healthy in life, is your essential question, how do I lose weight or how do I make healthy decisions? Because if it's how do I lose weight and at the end of the day, when you're trying to collect data on that, you're seeing that I'm not losing weight. Therefore, everything that I'm doing is wrong. But if you took a look at another data point on how many healthy decision opportunities do I have in a day and how many of them am I making that is a correct healthy decision, then you have a different data point. I think in schools, the metrics shouldn't just be around a test score or a grade. We need to ask ourselves kind of other questions like what other evidence, what other metrics can we leverage that can tell a better, more complete story? Like as a filmmaker, I teach kids to plan. I teach kids to produce. I teach kids to present. I teach kids about feedback. I, I, I teach kids about where they learn how to assess and adjust and then obviously promote. I mean, those are different metrics and different data points that we can collect because and then you quickly discover how many of your kids are better at one of those or all of those or half of those? I mean, we just kind of wait till the product is created at the end and we use that to somehow measure if someone's good or not. We, we're, we're not pausing long enough, Michael, to ask those bigger questions. If you're always on the lookout for inspiring people and ideas, and you probably are since you're listening to this podcast, then you'll want to check out my monthly newsletter. I share a personal story inspired by my work, curate resources related to innovation and digital literacy, and connect you with thought leaders around the world, all delivered to your email inbox. Sign up on our website at changethenarrative.net. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemies, our own haters in some ways, you know, like uh, for me, I know sometimes this idea of the imposter syndrome where we don't think we're good enough for a particular job have the right skills or experience to be successful. Can you tell me a time when you doubted yourself, and maybe a time when you stretched beyond what you thought you could do and how you overcame that? I doubt myself all the time. And I'm actually old enough now to realize that's actually not a bad thing because it forces me 
to constantly be asking questions and not be the expert. And I actually don't want to be that person. If you're standing in the room next to the smartest person and it's you, then um, you're in the wrong room. And so I have to then develop some survival techniques around that. And I remember one time I met um, Steven Soderbergh and he talked about how, you know, you just have to have a balance. You know, you make your, you know, your indie film for you and your and people who matter to you, but then you have to realize that you have a family, <laughs> you need job and you need insurance. So you need to make your <laughs> Ocean's 11 or your Ocean's 13 for everybody else. Wow. I mean, it's definitely made me a better communicator. Like I don't assume anything. Like what exactly do you need? You know, I'm pretty specific with my questions that I ask people. I avoid things like, do you like it? You know, right. Uh, I make sure that I can, these are my product goals of what the video or the story should be or the lesson or the unit or the professional development. And then here are some of the process goals and how I'm going to get there. You know, is it clear? Do you like it? Is there something that's missing that's not clear to you? So, I mean, I've definitely created some survival techniques along the way, but does it make me feel any better? Probably initially, no, but in the long run, I mean, I I found a way to at least feel good about what I did. So that's like the second time you brought that up, like you need to do a better job of communicating. So you have to sort of think how much is on me to clarify what I'm doing and the purpose behind it. Like I'm yeah. doing this cause I am narcissistic. I have this other goal and maybe I don't see that yet. When I was in, when I taught high school and working with teachers that were very content focused, you know, I made sure that I paused long enough so that I defined what I thought these words that we were throwing around meant. And this is because these are the words, these are the questions, these are the guiding questions that I've generated from, these definitions and these are the activities and the resources I need to make sure that I can deliver, raise a level of consciousness, um, improve, increase, show impact. Because I was going to ask you, and it sounds like you already have some, but um, strategies for ensuring, I'm going to throw the words around, innovation. <laughs> uh, yeah. Growth. And how, how do you, how do you, ensure that within your own organization and also on a personal level? You know, creativity for me, and I think that I heard your brother mention this as well, as creativity at the root is your ability to solve whatever problem you have in front of you with what you have at that time. Again, I always love watching how other people figure stuff out because to me, innovation is how you figure it out. So one of the things that I learned from watching like those iron chefs, those chopped cooks, those um, chefs is they actually don't see all of the individual products that you and I see. Like we saw like ice cream, you know, squid ink, uh, a warm can of Coke and oatmeal. But what they see is like, they see if it's like savory, salty, if it's um, sweet, if they, they, they break everything down to like five flavors. So I don't care what you put in front of them. It, and it's a lot less stressful for them because they're not dealing with a plethora of products. They're dealing with like five flavor profiles. And that's a lot of times that's how like artificial intelligence works. It's this process. It's this framework of how you start to ask the right questions. That has been really helpful whenever I'm confronted with something with a, with the word like critical thinking. I know for me in the past, we just jumped in and just assumed. I know, I know for me personally and professionally, just stopping and asking those fundamental step one questions has been great. 
sometimes when I work on with professional development, sometimes just the first half of whatever it is that we're working on, especially if it's like a single day, it's just defining those terms. Because if you get that wrong, you know, you've derailed the train at the beginning. That's been a big aha moment for me. Again, very much a, a, a documentarian filmmaker approach. Like, what is it? Can you give me examples of what it looks like? And then ultimately, what are the benefits? Or why is it cool? And why is it important? Having that really simple, in my head, framework as a filmmaker has really helped me um, just survive some of that. Does it mean it solves everything? No. Do I still have challenges with that? Absolutely. But at least for me, I feel like even if I run into trouble, I felt like I did what I could with what I have at the time. You know, I know for me, like, there are definitely days when I get it from all sides. Uh, And, you know, you just kind of want to give up the fight. Um, Sometimes it's a lot easier to just go along with what everyone else wants or thinks. Yeah. You know, uh, even though you might not be able to take your organization to new heights if you do that. So what advice would you give to folks who are feeling like that? Your number one killer to organizations is silence. And silence exists because people are scared to say something. And I think that us as storytellers, the best stories out there are lessons learned story. They're not the victory story. At least from the top level, to make sure that you can carve out time to get people to not only to share, but to share with each other. Because a lot of times what happens is somebody's needs and concern is someone's lessons learned. And somebody else's lesson learned is somebody else's victory. And having that kind of common language um, allow the organization to help each other's issues without having to rely on the leader to solve them for them. I mean, maybe I do have some additional strategies. I learned this from the former vice president of Disney operations, the A-R-E. So A, appreciate, two, recognize, and three is encourage, where you encourage. And what's good about this formula that he would use, because remember, he said, I have to deal with everybody from high-end employees to minimum wage employees. And so how do I appreciate the individual so that A, they feel like, because most people are upset at work because they don't feel appreciated. Two, when you recognize specifically the action, the activity, the verb of the person. And then three, if it's something they're doing well, to encourage them to continue doing that. Right. That's so great. I love that advice. Tell me about some projects you're working on right now that you're excited about, Marco. Well, one of the projects that I'm excited about right now is working with uh, Verizon and their Verizon Innovative Learning Schools project. They're really trying to work hard to get schools to survive and thrive and to leverage all of the evidence that they're planning for and creating and managing and showcasing to help the schools find other financial resources to support you know their one-to-one or their coaching program and i think that what i've enjoyed about these couple projects that i'm working on now is that you know you're getting schools to be very meta aware of the stories that they want to tell at the beginning so that they can better better plan for them so that on a regular basis they're able to showcase impact in a variety of different evidence strategies and what they used to think were be fluffy fun um story reports at the end they're now seeing that stories are a strategy for business survival and inspiration for future funding that's been a really good thing for me because 
that's something that I believe in, Michael. You know, I believe that, you know, give the kids a voice and give the kids the opportunity to share with you why this matters to them, why this is important, why this is a tool for liberation and really leveraging those tools and resources to help them move that agenda. That's been pretty exciting for me. That's fantastic. That sounds really great. And I love this idea of story obviously that's the name of the podcast right um yeah storytelling is what you tell yourself in your mind the self-talk it's what you share what people know about you it's how we share our successes how we you know deal with failures it's it's everything i think it's definitely the thread that runs through everything you know stories in general first what they do is they, they help you internally they give you confidence internally that's why people make art they do it because they have something in them that they need to tell themselves. Secondly, is they instill confidence externally. Everybody who's watching it can feel, okay, this makes sense. I believe in it. How can I help? And then they develop things like empathy, even the title of this podcast about changing the narrative. You know, the narrative in our particular case needs more than just the bottom line. You know, we definitely are trying to build something that's way better for everybody in the future so that they can make things way better for their futures. <laughs> Thanks for summing that up. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way. That's really great. So Marco, where can people connect with you and find out more about your work? I do the whole social media thing. So, I mean, they can look at me at, um, at Taurus21. They can do that. Obviously, they can go to Digital Promise to learn more about the different initiatives and the different opportunities that we're a part of. Marco, this has been a really fantastic conversation. It's so great to catch up with you. And as always, you're an amazing mind and you get me thinking about so many different ways of, of working and living. And I really appreciate that. So thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you, Michael. And good luck to you. Connect with Marco and see his work at Digital Promise on our website. I've also got some of my Gritty Not Pretty Street photographs I took in downtown LA and a link to my personal Instagram account at changethenarrative.net. Whether you're in an office, a classroom, or a coffee shop, we need the right type of place to foster creativity. Next time, I talk with designer Rebecca Hare to find out how you can create your own workspace to spark innovation. If you like the podcast, rate us and write us a review. It helps people find us.